A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. To Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And on our Malava Malka episode, we will be talking about the upcoming yard site this coming week. Uh, later on this week, uh, Reb Schneer Cutler he has a very famous yard site, a Gimel Tammuz, which is usually known as the Rebbe's yard site. And last year, actually, on, on, uh, we spoke a little bit about. Um, it was also a good episode. You could look that up about the Rebbe's uh, rise to becoming the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe. But today we'll talk about Rabbi Schneer Cutler, um, who actually got it first. He got it on uh, in 1982 um, when he passed away. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about his wife, Rebbe Rischel, two amazing people. And of course, uh, we'll focus on the earlier times as as we're want to do on this uh podcast um interesting I'll open up with a story that my wife's grandfather who knew Schneer Cutler very well um he was a Talmud of her baron in uh, from before the war and he kept up um so he told me that it was towards the end of his life he was in his 90s already um and uh, and he got a call from Malkiel Cutler, the current Rosh Hashiva of Lakewood, who was marrying off a child. And I don't know his children, so I don't know which one it was. But he asked him, he asked my uh, grandfather, my wife's grandfather, if if he can make an effort and attend the wedding. And, and he was already old, he wasn't so well. He said, nah, I can't make it, I can't uh, schlep out. And Ramalkil really asked him, he said, please, it would mean a lot if you came to the wedding. And he said, what, what's the, why, why would it be so significant? And he said, my mother, who was still alive at the time, Rebetzin Rischel, you're, you're the only one or one of the only people alive who attended her wedding, uh, her wedding with her Schneer right after the war. And it would mean a lot to my mother if you came to the wedding. So he came, this old Kletzker, and he arrives there, and Ramalkil got all excited, and he brings her over to he brings him over to the Ezra Snashim, to the women's section, where Rebetzin Rishel was there, and the two of them, uh, talk, you know, schmoozed with each other, and he t- 
told her how he remembers her wedding to Reb Schneer so many years earlier, and it's so nice to be able to attend her grandchild's wedding, and it was a very uh, powerful moment. So, it, you know, that uh, brings us into the Rebbitz and Rishel, Reb Schneer, Shidduch, and, uh, and just to ra- wrap that up on the other side, I was once leading a tour, a whole group, and we were in Kletsk in Belarus. Today it's in Belarus. In those days, it was in, before the war, it was in Poland. And I'm talking about Kletsk and Rabarn and the whole thing. And when we get back on the bus, um, a, a Bala bus, an older guy comes over to me, and he says, and he says, uh, I have some stories to share with you. You know, it just reminded me because we're in Kletsk. And what does he start talking to me about? About his relationship with Rav Schneer when he was in Lakewood, Rav Schneer was the Rosh Hashiva, and he starts telling me all kinds of stories, and he used to drive him, and he brought him here, and he brought him there, and I don't even, unfortunately, it was, it was, it was on tour, and I didn't, I wasn't exactly interviewing him, and I didn't write down or record anything, so I don't remember the stories that he told me, but the idea was that it struck me at the time that Rav Schneer Cutler is someone who had literally thousands of Talmidim from all you know, all walks of life. You know, his father, who sometimes he was in the shadow, he was you know, Rabaran, kind of overshadowed Reb Schneir to a certain extent. His father had a very small amount of Talmidim, and and each one was like famous. Like he's a Talmud of Rabaran Cutler. He's an, an older man, and he's a Rosh Hashiva somewhere. And Rav Schneer, who built up the yeshiva and it rose in size, and uh, all types came out of it, Rabbanim, Rashi Yeshiva, Balabatim, and every, uh, you know, whole diverse uh, amount, but, but it's, there's a lot of people out there. And you're actually, your average Lakewooder is not a Talmud of Rabaran because that was uh, unique, and it was a small place, and each one was modeled and shaped to become uh, someone uh, special, but in, in Reb Schneer, there's a lot more people out there who are Talmidim of, of Lakewood, and really they were there during Reb Schneer's time, and it's something that we really should speak about, um, and not not often enough as, it, as he spoke about it. He sometimes overlooked, like I said, he lived in his father's shadow to a certain extent. He himself never even learned in Kletsk um, in Europe. He was born in 1918, and he learned in uh, Baranovich, who it seems like he actually made the Shidduch. We'll get to his friendship, uh, Rebbe Khanna's friendship with uh, Rebbe Rishel's father in a minute. But um, it seems like Rebbe Khanna was the one who suggested the match between Rebbe Schneer and, uh, and uh, Rebbe Rishel. And then later on, Rebbe Schneer studies in Kamenetz by Rebbe Baruch Ber Leibovich. And he never actually, he lived in Kletsk, he grew up in Kletsk, um, but he, uh, he didn't actually learn in Kletsk. At the beginning of the war, so everyone's trying to get out. Now, Reb Schneer was lucky that his grandfather, Rabbi Zalman Meltzer, was in Eretz Yisrael as the Rosh Hashiva of Eitz Chaim, and he was able to provide him with a visa to get to Eretz Yisrael. Now, shortly before he leaves to Eretz Yisrael, like I said, he gets engaged. He's in his low 20s, and he gets engaged to the 17-year-old uh, Rishel Friedman, um, who's in Kovna, in Slobodka at the time. And and the, before they can get married, you know, the war is is raging. And although independent Lithuania, the war hadn't reached yet, 
but people were trying to escape. The Soviet Union was taking over Lithuania. So they, as an engaged couple, they separate. And Reb Schneer makes it to Israel, and Reb Rishel makes it eventually to Shanghai, which I'll get to in a second. And they had a very, very long engagement, a six or seven year engagement, one of the longest engagements in history. And Reb Schneer is in Israel, in, 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 not Israel at the time, at the time it's Palestine, and he's by his grandfather, Mrs. Zalman. So ostensibly he's learning in Eitz Chaim, which was a Yerushalmi yeshiva. And in that context, when I was a bacher in the mirror, there was an elderly Yerushalmi Jew who lived across the street from the Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. A very special man. I used to eat Shalashudas by him. His name was Rabnata Freind. An amazing, big Talmud Chacham and a very, very close Talmud of Rabbis Zalman Meltzer. He helped him write the Evan HaEzel and he was one of the original uh, students of the Mir Yeshiva when Rabbi Yitl opened. And at the end of his life, we used to go to Shalashudas by him. He would tell us stories. If he was saying the Vritari, you could be sure that I would not have attended Shalashudas by him, but since he was saying stories, I used to, I went for a year or two to Shalashudas there. And one of the things he spoke about, how with a lot of pride, was that he was one of the top guys in Eitz Chaim. And because of that, um, Rabbi Sezalman, who had a yeshiva of Yerushalmi guys, all of a sudden he has his grandson, Rabbi Schneer, who was not only from the Litvish yeshiva world, which was uh, much superior in learning to to Yerushalayim at the time, but he had Reb Schneer Cutler, who was a superstar in the Litvish Yeshiva world. Who is he going to set him up with to learn? So he said the closest he got to, to anyone to be able to be on Reb Schneer's level was him. That's what he said. Not to, so he actually was Reb Schneer's Chavrusa for six years. And he spoke about that with a lot of pride. He, he was in awe of Reb Schneer Cutler. In fact, um, he said that uh, that when Ramalkil Cutler would come to visit Eretz Yisrael, he would come to visit him. He would come to his house to, to visit him uh, out of respect that he was his father's chavrusa. But when Reb Schneer was in Eretz Yisrael, he didn't just hang around Eitz Chaim, he was also in the Chavrin Yeshiva, and and he used to talk to the Briskarov in learning. And uh, and what's interesting is also that he his cousin, or Mr. Zalman's uh, son, um, had a Yeshiva in Rehovot, called Kletsk, which was, when it was opened, it was officially opened as a branch of Kletsk. It was Kletsk Rehovo. And because Reb Schneer was the Kletsk Rosh Yeshiva in Europe's son, so he was involved in the Kletsk Rehovo Yeshiva while he was in Eretz Yisrael. His name was even on the letterhead, and he and he helped out with it there, and and uh, and he was definitely involved as a, as a single bacher, as an engaged bacher in the Kletsk Rehovo Yeshiva. In the meantime, we move over to his his uh, his fiance Rebetzin Rishel, who is also you know, seeking to get out. She grew up in a very special home, in the Friedman home. Reb Aryeh Malkiel Friedman was her father. Of course, the current Lakewood she was named after his grandfather, Barry Malkiel. It's interesting that today we call him Reb Aryeh Malkiel Friedman because his very famous grandson is Reb Aryeh Malkiel. But in his in his own lifetime, he was known as Rebleib Friedman. No one ever called him Rebari Malkiel. And he had learned in, in Tells, in Slabotka, and a, a big Balmusser. Um, he was a working man. He lived in Memel, which was a, a, a business center, a balabas, but a very big Talmud Chacham. And he, and he was a, a famous, a famous individual. 
Now, this this Reb Friedman, he was eventually killed by the Nazis. He didn't get out. Um, but he, he, he lived in Memel for many years. And while he was in, in, uh, in Memel, he, um, he hosted Rosh Yeshiva who would come visit the town or fundraise there, one of whom was Rabbi Chana Wasserman. And they were very close friends. Rabbi Chana used to stay at their house. He was one of the only people that he trusted in Memel, Kashras, and, 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 and things like that. Um, and he used to, Rabbi Chana used to entertain his kids. He used to tell them stories about the Chafetz Chaim, and uh, and he used to speak to Rabbi Barry Malkiel Friedman's children, including Rebetz and Rishel, and uh, and then eventually he moves to Kovna, and um, to Slabatka, to Kovna, and and there, like I said, he got killed, but uh, but his, a few of his daughters survived. So one of them became Rebetz and Volpa eventually. One of them who married Rabbi Chaim Sarna, the the Chevron Rashiva's daughter, Rabbi Hatzko Sarna. I'm sorry. Rashiva's son, Reb Chaim Sarna, they survived the Holocaust actually in in Lithuania. Those two sisters, the third sister, Rebetzin Rishel, she was able to make it out. She got a visa that made, got her across Russia to Japan, and then she joined the stream of refugees, uh, the community of refugees in Shanghai, where the Mirishiva, where a lot of other people were. That's how um, that's where she ended up. Now. Um, the house that they had in, in, in Slabatka is a place that we actually go visit when we go on our tours of Lithuania. The house is still standing. It's an old wooden house. We actually go in and we sometimes get yelled at by the current residents of the house, which has to date not ever stopped us. If we come in with 40 guys there, there's not much they could do to uh, stop us going. We go in, we take pictures, we talk about it a little bit. And it was a house that there was one part of the house that Rav Ram Grudzinski the Slabatka Mashkiach lived in, and another part of the house was Rabari Malkiel Friedman with his family. And in fact, Rabbi Vasman, in the beginning of the war, when the Soviets took over the eastern part of Poland in light of the uh, the von Ribbentrop uh, Molotov von Ribbentrop uh, non-aggression pact, so eastern Poland and the secret clause of that pact was that Poland was to be divided. So Baranovich and most of the area where the Litvish yeshivas were, fell under Soviet jurisdiction. And Rebbe Chonan, who was an outspoken critic of, of communism and the fact that it had done so much to destroy Jewish life behind the Iron Curtain, and a lot of the stuff that he had said was on record, so he was in uh, specific danger. So he immediately escaped from the area of Baranovich, even before his yeshiva joined him in Lithuania, which they shortly afterwards did, but he uh, he was he came to Lithuania and eventually he hid out, especially after the Soviets took over Lithuania. He hid out in the home of his old friend, Rabbi Malkiel Friedman. So he was actually hiding in this building. We talk about this building when the Nazis invade, and this house, which belongs to two great people, to two apartments in the house, Rabbi Malkiel Friedman and Rabbi Grzynski. But there was another famous resident of the house, and that was Rabbi Chana when he was taken to be killed at. Most probably the seventh fort, Rabbi Khan was probably taken from the doorway that we look at, that we stand at, in that house where Malkiel Friedman lived. And, um, and the two of the last people who actually saw Rabbi Khan in that house were the two surviving daughters of the two families, who eventually became Rebetzin Volba, that was Rabbi Ram Gajinsky's daughter, and of course Rebetzin Rishel Cutler, who was uh, Malkiel Friedman's daughter. In any event, Rebetzin Rishel makes it to Shanghai, 
and um, and she's all alone. In other words, her parents were back there; they got killed. Her sisters were back there who survived, and um, and she's there. And an interesting note that um, she was taken care of by the Rav of Shanghai, who we spoke about in a different episode, Rameir Ashkenazi, who who she lived in his house and she took care. Especially, she got sick with tuberculosis while they were there in Shanghai, and and uh, and they nursed her back to health. They took care of her like a daughter. She lived. She actually shared a bed with with uh, one of the Ashkenazi girls, who she eventually. Uh, uh, suggested a shidduch for for with her husband's it was her it was her she's her roommate her bedmate even they they, they had a small little house so she, they shared a bed together this daughter of Reb Meir Ashkenazi and Rebetzin Rishel um, her name was Malka and she and Rebetzin Rishel eventually suggested a shidduch with her husband Reb Schneer Cutler's roommate from Baranovich Reb Herschel Milner. So they, the two roommates married the two roommates. That was an interesting product of the Shanghai time. Now, in fact, when, when Rabaran knew that his son, Rabaran, eventually escapes to America. So Rabaran's in America, Rabaran's in Eretz Yisrael, and his kala is out in Shanghai. Rabaran is busy turning over the world with the Vadat to try to raise money to help uh, finance the, uh, the operations of the Mir Shiva and other refugees in Shanghai and all kinds of other um, um, stuff that the Varatsala is busy with. So when he when he sends money for the Varatsala in Shanghai, so what he would sometimes do would add extra money of his own personal funds. And the reason he did so is he said, my future daughter-in-law is in Shanghai as a refugee. If I just raise money from others and then send the money out to Shanghai. So what people are going to say is that, oh, he has a lot to gain from it. His do- his future daughter-in-law is getting money. He says, no, no, no. I'll add my own contribution. So that, that my contribution is for my daughter-in-law. Anything else I raise is for the Jewish people, for the refugees, for the B'nai Taira, for the yeshivas, for whatever it is. I'm not getting any personal gain. That's not my goal here. That was to remove any suspicion of any you know, a person who's so above suspicion, but he himself takes every precaution possible. So she arrives in America after the war, and she actually arrived before Ebschner, and of course she's alone, an orphan without family. Rabbi Aaron uh, took her in and took care of her. They were very close. Um, she, You know, she, was, she didn't have anyone else. And uh, they go ahead... You know, there's a big there's a big thing that she had tuberculosis. She almost died, and uh, they didn't know if she was fully recovered, if she would be able to have children. But they decided to go ahead with the shidduch anyway, which is a whole story which I'm not going to get into because there's too many versions of it, and that's not something I want to get involved with. But they get married, and Schneer makes it over, of course, to America, and they they um and they 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 become part of the 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 scene in Lakewood and part of, of what Ravarin was all about while, while Ravarin is still alive. Eventually, Ravarin passes on in 1962 and Rav takes over as the Rosh Hashiva. Rebetzin Rishel becomes one of the Talmidim in Lakewood at the time described her as the camp mother. She literally took care of all the Bacham of the Yeshiva. She was very active, very powerful personality, very active. She was not a passive Rebetzin and she 
she she would notice which bachurim in the yeshiva need new clothing, and she would try to arrange for them to get get new clothing. She would try to help marry off guys in the in the talmidim and in, in the yeshiva. Um, Reb Shneir is building up Lakewood. When Reb Aaron was nifter, there were less than two hundred students in the yeshiva. When Reb Shneir passes on nineteen years later, the same exact amount of years that Reb Aaron was the Rosh Yeshiva in Lakewood, not counting his years in Kletsk. Um, so when, when Reb Shneir passes on in 1982, there's over a thousand. So there's a huge exponential growth of the Lakewood Yeshiva under Reb Shneir, and it becomes the main central Yeshiva place where where everyone can come. Anyone who's coming and dedicated to learning is welcome to come. And 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 his and his wife Rebetzin Rishel is the is the mother of the Bachurim in the yeshiva, and what what stuck stuck out about Reb Shneir was his simplicity, the fact that he was in the shadow of his father for for most of uh, you know for all the earlier years and even after his father passes on it wasn't a simple transfer to him becoming the Rosh Yeshiva, and um and and he was a you know he had a a simplicity and a modesty to him but on the other hand he was the busiest man on earth he was like i said building up lakewood he was also on the mayetzis gedele hatayr of a good israel and he took over a lot of his father's positions of leadership in the general jewish world the chinachatzmai and tyra messiah in many other activities he was literally busy from morning till night for the jewish people not necessarily just for lakewood he was always being driven around from meeting to meeting, from phone call to phone call. He was a person who never rested, was constantly on the run. And one of the things that he spearheaded, a whole project that he initiated, was to open up, it's not just that Lakewood itself would expand, but that alumni of the Lakewood Yeshiva would be sent out to Kailos throughout America and, and to a certain extent throughout the world. This he did in partnership with the great and legendary Mashkiach of Lakewood, Reb Nassim Vachtfeigl, who really was the one who started it and brought in Reb Aaron. And throughout the years of Reb Aaron, throughout the years of Reb Schneir, and throughout the years following Reb Schneir, for many years until he passed on, he was there for, he was there for, you know, forever almost. I remember when I, I attended his Levi, I remember when he, I met him also when he was alive, Reb Nassim. So he's a topic for another time. But, um, but this, Kailal initiative to start branches, as it were, of Lakewood Kailals throughout America. And the reason I said is throughout the world, because there was a famous project they did in Melbourne, Australia, and I believe in a couple of other places as well. But across the Fruited Plain, across uh, America, they tried to open up and engage communities to have a Kailal, which was, you know, revolutionary. Rabaran's revolution was to actually have the concept in America, but to be able to spread that to other places was... Uh, was definitely not something that was obvious from the start, and uh, and he pushed for it. Um, another story again with my wife's grandfather. He had a store in on the Lower East Side, and there was someone local who he worked with. We had a business relationship with, who was a religious Jew, but he was you know uh, didn't seem like a guy with a yeshiva background. He was more modern, more American. And uh, but he was a good guy, and and they had a good working relationship, and he was an older single guy, and eventually he got married. So my wife's grandfather, as someone who knew him in a business sense, decided to attend the wedding. So he goes into the wedding expecting not to know anyone and not to see anyone familiar. You know, he was a 
uh, a more yeshivish guy from Borough Park, had learned in Kletsk, and was in the mirror in Shanghai. And lo and behold, a couple of minutes after he arrives, Rav Schneer walks in. And Rav Schneer doesn't just walk in, and this busy Rav Schneer Cutler, who's busy with everything all the time, he stays literally from the beginning of the wedding till the end, for hours. And Rav Schneer gets up to leave when the wedding is all over, and when his grandfather finally goes over to him and says, you know, they're friends, they're the same age, they're friends. They, he says to him, uh, why, what brings you to this wedding and why did you stay for so long? So he says, I'll tell you. He looks like a modern guy today, but he actually learned in the yeshiva by us. He was a yeshiva guy. And, uh, and it didn't, you know, it didn't work out for him. He wanted to go out to the world and, and, uh, the yeshiva, yeshiva lifestyle wasn't for him. So he left. Before he left, I told him the following thing. He said, you're leaving. You're taking the next step. That's your decision. And that's fine. But I'm telling you, no matter what that you're leaving, and, and no matter where you go, no matter how long it is, I promise you, I will attend your wedding. And it was a lot, it was several years ago. But I heard he's getting married, and I wanted to keep my promise, and I came to the wedding. And coming to the wedding doesn't come in and out, say, Malotov, it means it's staying from beginning to end. As, I mean, again, again, everyone can take the story the way they want. I think it's an absolutely incredible story because it's not just his kindness and his modesty and his keeping his word. And I think that there's an educational message that, that he's, he's sending a message to the guy who's leaving yeshiva. He doesn't know what's going to be with him, you know, and Rabbi Schneider didn't know what's going to be the next step. And he's telling him that you're still connected to me. You're still connected to the yeshiva. No matter where you go and what decisions that, uh, you know, whatever life meets you, and uh, you're still part of me and you're still part of the we're still part of you. So I thought that was a, a powerful story. There's another story that Rav Schneer, that I, I've read that Rav Schneer used to say over, and you have, to, you have to double check this to make sure that it's a true story, and even if it's a true story, to make sure that Rav Schneer actually said it over. But, you know, as far as I know, this is a true story that Rav Schneer would say over. And uh, he would say it to any any uh, Kailal fellow who was going into the rabbinate, he would say it over to him before he would go for his smicha exam. He would say, you're going to, you know, you've been studying in the lake with Kailal, you're going, to, you're learning Yoridea, and you're becoming a rabbi, you're going to go into the rabbinate, you're going to go be tested by someone to give you smicha, you're going to become a rabbi. I have a story to tell you, because this defines what a rabbi is much more than any of the questions you're going to be asked at your smicha examination. And he would tell him a story about the quintessential Paisik rav and leader in the Jewish people of the 20th century, Reb Chaim Eizer Grudzinski. He said he was in Vilna, Reb Chaim Eizer Grudzinski, and I guess he heard the story from someone. Um, he said over that Reb Chaim Eizer was sitting with a group of yeshiva guys in his house in Vilna on 17th Zavalna Street, and... And a simple uh, laborer, working uh, Jew, uh, barges into the room and says, Rebbe, ich bin a kain ken ich grusha. Rebbe, I'm a kain. Am I allowed to take a grusha, a divorced woman? And all the boys, the yeshiva guys, are taken aback. Such an elementary question. It's a pasuk in the Torah that a kain is forbidden to marry a grusha. Reb Chaim Eiser is quiet. He looks at him for a second. He sizes him up. And then he says the following thing. He says, Yo, can stinem in a grusha. Yes, you can take a grusha. 
And everyone's doubly shocked now. So the guy says, Adank Rebbein, thank you. And he leaves. And Reb Chaim Eizer says to the guys around him, he says, I'm assuming that you're surprised at my answer. So let me explain to you something. I, the guy walks in and asks a question like that. Why is he asking a question like that? It's a Pasuk in the Torah that you're not allowed to marry a Grusha if you're a Kayan. You're not allowed to marry a divorced woman. So well, he must be asking for another reason. So I start to size up the person. Who is this guy? Why is he asking me this question? I looked at him, I look at his boots, I look at what type of person he is, and it seems like that he's a, a simple person, first of all, and also it seems like he's wearing the uniform of the taxi drivers of Vilna. He looks like a balagola. A balagola was a taxi driver. He had a horse and buggy, drove people from the center of town to the train station if they were traveling out of town, local cabs. So you see, he said this guy probably learned in Cheder till he was six, seven years old, and he remembers that there was a pasuk in the Torah, Isha Grusha Leisikach. You're not allowed to take a Grusha, which means to marry a divorced woman. And his Rebbe probably pointed to him and said, Oh, you're a Kayan, you're not allowed to, to take a divorced woman. And that's what he remembers. He means to take a divorced woman in his cab to the train station. Of course he can take one. There's not a problem. He's not asking if he can marry a, a divorced woman. And if you don't believe me, why don't you go to the to the dispatch uh, where all the balagolas, where all the horse and buggies stand in the main town square, not far from here, and go see who's going into his wagon. And the way the story goes is that they went out and checked and they saw a d- woman who, who someone knew her and, and knew that she was divorced. Either way, whatever the details of the story are, the point is, is that Rav Schneer would say, you're going into the rabbinate. You have to understand that people aren't the text. They're not the, sh- the, the shachs and taz, tazes of Yeridea, help you understand the halacha. But when someone comes and asks you a live question, you're going into the rabbinate, you're dealing with people, and you have to understand the person behind the question, and you have to understand the context and the situation that they're in, and based on that you can apply the halacha to any given situation. So that's also a good Rav Schneer's story. Ramesha Scherer, when uh, the great leader of a good Israel in America, he, he said when Rav Schneer passed on, he said, you know, we can find someone to replace Lakewood Yeshiva, Nurashi Yeshiva, Shner's son, son-in-law, other family members to 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 take over Lakewood Yeshiva. But who's going to replace Reb Shner Cutler as a leader in Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people? Reb Meishesher said years later. He said at the time Reb Meishe Feinstein and Reb Yaakov Kamenetsky were getting old; they were already in their nineties. And we were already looking towards the next generation of G'dayle Yisrael. He specifically pointed out Reb Baruch Saratskin, the Rashiv and Tells, and Reb Shner Cutler. They were the next generation. And they had wisdom, and he would seek out their advice. And both of them passed away very young, Reb Baruch Saratskin, 1979, a couple of years earlier. And both of them passed away before Reb Moshe Feinstein, Reb Yag Kamenetsky, who lived you know, very long lives. So they, we lost them before, before they could even get into it. He said, who's gonna, who's gonna guide us now? And, uh, and Rabbi Kamenetsky was actually the one who said that we can, not Rabbi Shisher, I'm sorry, that we can find the replacement for Rabbi in the yeshiva leadership, but not in Klal Yisrael's leadership. Now, an interesting thing about Rabbi Shner Cutler, recently the, uh, Professor William Helmreich, uh, passed away. And he, um, is famous for a lot of books that he wrote about New York City. 
But one of his earlier books that he wrote, and the basis of it was already in the late 70s, the research that he did, was that he interviewed a series of Russia yeshiva, European Russia yeshiva, American Russia yeshiva, who lived in America, um, about the yeshiva world. And, and, and I read, besides the book, there's the transcripts actually of the interview. And one of the first people he interviewed in 1977 was Rabshner Cutler. And it's an amazing transcript, and I'll share you a few, a few of the, uh, what comes out of his conversation with Rabshner. First of all, the optimism shines from the transcript that he feels of what the future, excuse me, um, for orthodoxy in America, for the yeshiva world in America. He was extremely friendly, warm, very receptive to the interview and to the questions. As busy as he was, he made in two sessions for him to be able to sit with him. Not only that, but he said to William Helmreich that he's very excited about the interview. He thinks it's a great topic. He wished him luck in his research, and he said, I'll help refer you to other Rashi Yeshiva. If it's hard for you to get meetings with other ones or to get them to agree to interview, I'll get them to do it. I'll, it's, I think it's very important what you're doing. He says, not only that, when the book is finished, send one to me. I want to read it. It's very interesting what you're doing. See, he got all into it, Rosh he, he, uh, he, he loved it. He said he sat down in his office, simple office, and he said, you saw how busy Rosh was. The phone didn't stop ringing. People were constantly coming in. You understood that the Claudius rolls resting on the shoulders of, of him. He said, he said he even felt guilty sitting with him. Um, he said the modesty of Reb Schneer stuck out so much. Uh, um, he asked he asked that they don't even stand up for him in yeshiva. And during the conversation, Reb Schneer spoke, uh, spoke about the challenges facing his father when he opened Lakewood. And then about the accomplishments of American Orthodoxy, about the out-of-town Kailulim, about the, he says that we have today in the 1970s a reverse from the trend that we had in Europe before the war. He said there's an opposite generation gap, a reverse generation gap. He said the generation gap in Europe before the war was that the kids were rejecting tradition. And he said today the children want to be, to learn more than their parents. He said, and it doesn't matter, it's not only about Lakewood. He said every yeshiva, um, he, he he specifically mentioned there Yisrael. He said, he play, whatever whatever whatever. Uh, but he said every everywhere there they, they have professionals, people who are accountants and lawyers, but they studied in yeshiva and they're learned. They're bnei Taira. He said, look at it. that's what America looks like today. This is the seventies. Um, so it's interesting that he that he says it. He said he said a lot of people credit it because of the G'daylum that came from Europe. He said, it's not just about the G'daylum that came from Europe. He said, they're matched by a community who's receptive, who wants to grow, who wants to learn. And we're creating American products. So um, uh, then he walks him out. He said he, he couldn't stop talking about the modesty and how much respect Rav Schneer showed him. Really, very impressive uh about the, the range of topics they discussed. He talked about Kiruv, they talked about Jep, uh, day schools, when Kail guys should leave Kail to teach others, the rabbinate, learning in Kail. There's a, he said there's a, a gentleness about him that's almost uh, indescribable. And he says that they had to cut one of their meetings short because Reb Schneer was uh, scheduled to speak at Camp Monk. It was the middle of the summer. So... Um, so, so Helmreich said, so I'll come and hear your speech in Camp Monk. So he mentions this, that Reb Schneer, uh, Reb Schneer got up the, at that point to get, to get Helmreich, who was this young interviewer, another cup of tea. He was serving him. 
And when he gets back, he says, he says, you don't need to hear me speak at Camp Monk. It's nothing special. What am I going to say already? He says, the camp wants to hear a Rosh Hashiva speak, but I'm not going to say anything special. You don't need to come and hear me. Now, Rav Schneer continued with a lot of his father's Balabatim, his father's lay, layman, who Rabarin was close with Irving Bunim, Amos Bunim, Stephen Klein, Marvin Schick, others. And what was, there was a, an incredible decision taken by Rav Schneer in 1980 when Irving Bunim passed on. Irving Bunim, who was a Balabas, a clean-shaven, working guy, who dedicated his entire life and every fiber of his being for the Jewish people in in such a wide range of activities that it would be another episode to describe what the accomplishments of Irving Bunim were. And Rav Schneer makes the decision, uh, almost unprecedented, he said his Leviah will leave the base Medrash of Lakewood Yeshiva, not outside, the base Medrash itself, what's in honor that's normally accorded for only a Rosh Yeshiva itself. I remember when I was in the Mir Yeshiva, there was a Rebbe in the Yeshiva who passed away, and it wasn't so simple that his Levaya would even leave the base Medrash. Perhaps it would only be outside, in front of the Yeshiva building. In other words, the idea that fleeing from the base Medrash is only the Rosh Yeshiva itself, and here Irving Bunim was accorded that honor for what he did, and that was a decision that Rav Schneer made himself. If we go back to um, Ebbetson Rischel for a minute. She's someone who experienced much personal tragedy in her life. Her parents were killed by the Nazis. Two of her sisters barely survived the war and afterwards lived in Eretz Yisrael far away. When she's 17, she has to run away alone as a refugee. Uh, her husband as a refugee escapes her, her fiancé, excuse me, she separated from her fiancé, who, as a refugee, got his visa and escaped to Israel. And she, as a different refugee, escapes to the other end of the world, to Shanghai, China, where they're separated for six or seven years, not knowing when they'll see each other again. If they'll see each other, they have this dream to build a life together, to get married, and they're separated. And in Shanghai, she almost dies of tuberculosis. Uh, her husband eventually, the great Rishner Cutler, passes away at quite a young age, at uh, at six, age of 64. Not only that, but she had her son, her oldest son, Rameer Cutler, passed away during her lifetime. And despite all that, she was an amazingly strong woman. She's busy always giving advice and counsel and chizik to others. And after her husband's passing, she becomes the force in Lakewood, not only the yeshiva, but the town. She became a legend in her own lifetime because behind the scenes she's running the whole operation. She's making decisions, she's helping the people, she's helping the yeshiva, she's taking care of this, she's taking care of that. And I remember growing up, you know, they said any of you do any research for it, it was just something that was obvious. Rebbitz and Rishel, she's behind the scenes, she's the powerhouse of Lakewood. And there's, that's something to be said for for the three decades, basically, more I don't remember the exact amount of years, for many, many years following her husband's passing, that she was uh, heavily involved in all the yeshiva affairs and the communal affairs in helping build up the place. So that's just a drop about these two great people, uh, Reb Schneer and Rebetz and Rishel. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeberer.com, G-E-B-E-R-E-R is Geberer. You can uh, subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.